Ford has come out with the Mustang Mach-E GT. I'll review my test drive with my longtime friend, Tom Appel, publisher, Consumer Guide Automotive, the all-knowing guru of gears, and we'll discuss the state of charging stations. Tom, welcome back to GreenSense. It's been a while since we last talked. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> Let's start out with our review of the Ford Mustang Mach-E. Um, I test drove a red Mustang. I'm not sure the exact color. It was sort of a candy apple red with the GT Performance Edition that included 20 inch wheels, summer tires, an 88 kilowatt battery, a panoramic fixed glass roof and 380 degree camera. The MSRP on this was 69,600. It had a range of around 260 miles and the EPA stated MPGE of 88 miles city and 75 miles highway. My have things changed. Remember when gas cars used to be the opposite? They would get all the high mileage on the highway and the low mileage of the city. Thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a funny situation, but EVs are hurt fuel economy-wise or energy economy-wise on the highway a little bit more than other cars. There is no gear reduction, for example. And what you're seeing is not so much that EVs are less efficient on the highway. It's just that gasoline power cars are so much more efficient on the highway for a number of reasons. Uh, did you drive the similar car? Uh, we drove a premium. It was not the GT, so one trim level down. A uh, very similar experience and, and really, uh, really interesting car to drive. Ford wants you to believe that this is a crossover or an SUV. It's really not. It's a little bit low for that. It has very small ground clearance, very low ground clearance. So I would not take this off-road, and I would not count on it in very, very deep snow. But that said, it's a pretty useful body style. There's some cargo space. I wish there was more rear seat room, but I did enjoy driving this vehicle. It's quickly. The, the energy is, or the power is applied very quickly and smoothly. I like the uh, touchscreen situation, which is very much like a Tesla if people are familiar with the portrait stack right there in the middle, it's very large and they don't try to hide it in the dashboard. A um, lot to like here. I wish the rear seat was roomier and I wish the ride was a little bit more compliant. Well, what I liked was that if you like attention, the Mustang immediately caught people's <laughs> attention. As soon as I got into it and drove it, people pulled me over. They were asking me questions. Uh, which was funny because I thought the F-150 was a much better car, but no one ever even stopped or looked at it. Uh, so if you're looking for attention, the Mustang will get it. Um, I also like that uh, console that was like a, a, a small computer in there. It was, it was quite, yeah. quite large. And wow, was this fast. Uh, zero to 60 in 3.6 seconds. Um, I liked the three modes. I think it was whisper, engaged, and unbridled. I thought unbridled was, was clever. And I liked the one pedal driving uh, where you don't need to use gas and brake. You could just control it uh, with gas and the, the uh, regenerative brake system. The panoramic roof was nice. It stretched the whole uh, uh, top of the car. Um, let's see. Uh, what didn't you like about this? Yeah, my primary complaints with this vehicle were, were that some of the controls are probably going to take people some time to get used to. The rear seat headroom and even knee room is a little bit tight. And a lot of people have complained, and I, I think I agree with them, that the ride is just, even in the softest setting, the ride is firmer than you might expect. Uh, definitely a sporty attitude, but it may not really appeal to people looking for a more mainstream ride. Well, like you, I thought this was very small inside. I also thought the ride was stiff, like it was on stilts. Uh, it handles good, but the car is very heavy. It's around 5,000 pounds. 
Um, and also, I don't like the name. They should drop the Mustang. I mean, the Mustang this does not look like a Mustang. And Mach-E is pretty cool, and it's pretty descriptive. And I found the price tag at 69000 you know, pr pretty shocking, uh, especially when you, you see other, uh, some of the lower end Teslas, which I think, uh, you know, are, 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 are maybe at a higher level. Um, uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you. And the price is high and, and they've gotten higher. Unfortunately, much like the Ford F-150 Lightning, Ford found it necessary to raise prices. Um, they claim it's because of supply chain issues and because battery costs have gone up or really the cost of the constituent elements in the battery. Uh, but the base price now, the base base price of this vehicle is not that short of $50,000 and it goes well over 70. So this is an expensive proposition. And this is, this is a thing that a lot of people have discussed about the democratization of electric vehicles. These are really luxury priced vehicles. And that's kind of a problem because there are a lot of people who might be interested and want to go green and just can't raise the money. Well, the other big issue that I have with all EVs other than Tesla is that uh, I think future EV sales are going to be limited by the charging network. Uh, the more sales that are gonna come with EVs, the harder it's gonna be to find charger stations and uh, you have to have a home charger. You can't have a multifamily or apartment uh, situation. You have to really have a single family home with a fast charger. So this is actually a great way to transition into our topic. Um, Tom, who are the major companies in the U.S. offering public charging stations? Well, right now, the big ones are EVgo and Electrify America. I think those are the ones with the broadest national reach. And Electrify America is the company that was formed with the punitive damage money that Volkswagen was forced to hand over after the Dieselgate controversy. If people may remember that they had, they had programmed the diesel engines in many Volkswagens to basically defeat emissions testing. Um, and, and the punitive damage for that came to $2 billion. So let's embellish upon that. So they were, they were uh, forced to set this up, and was it supposed to be free, or was it a money-making venture? Um, at this point, EVgo is non-for-profit, but obviously they try to run, you know, at least profit-neutral. At some point, this, the funding for EVgo will run out, the $2 billion uh, war chest, at which point it's probably going to end up a for-profit operation. Do you mean Electrify America or EVgo? I'm sorry, Electrify America. So uh, the reason why I'm wondering if it's a nonprofit, I saw that if you're not a member, the rates for charging were like 42 to 43 cents a kilowatt hour. Now that seems really high. It is high. And, and one of the, the problems with public charging is that uh, DC fast charging, which is often called level three, which is one level above 220 volt home charging, is very expensive because you have to step the energy up to 400 volts or in some case 800 volts. So the, the, while it costs $1,500 or $2,000 to install um, a level two station at home, it costs about $40,000 to install a level three station. Oh. So, yeah, so the cost is dramatically higher. So they're trying to offset those costs, unfortunately. So, so what's the limiting factor to setting up more of these fast charging stations? Uh, the limiting factors are, are the cost of getting power to the station and real estate. Those are really, I think, your big costs. Um, I was looking into charging stations and I, I saw something interesting was that BP and Shell are both offering charging stations in Europe. And I always thought that's a great idea. Why, why hasn't the gas uh, 
stations got into charging uh, uh, areas. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? That's a good question, Robert. And I don't have an answer because I've been noticing that these, these petroleum retailers are getting into the EV thing in Europe. That's very interesting. And, and they're setting them up very much like gas stations. And you think that this would work because you do have to wait longer to charge your car than it would take to fill your car with gas, which would seem to improve the retail, op- uh, retail opportunities you know, for, for the providers of electricity. But you're not seeing that in the U.S. yet. No, no major retail uh, petroleum retailer is, is yet in the EV field, not in any big way. When uh, EVs first came out, Tom, there was talk that you'd be able to pull up your uh, EV and someone come out with a robot that would replace your battery. Is that something in the future? I don't think it's in the future for North America. It's in the present in China. There are a number of companies making this work. The problem is that you have to get manufacturers to work together and standardize the batteries. And I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, part of the reason is we, we the variety of vehicles here are, are is broader. And I think that people are also in America going to be a little bit reluctant to, to take the most expensive part of their car and just swap it for another version of that that may not be in the same condition. I think it just doesn't really work with the American retail psyche. So let's talk a little bit about the cost. Do you have any ideas of the different charging stations and what it costs to charge both on a regular charger and a, a high-speed one? Yeah, Hopefully, most of the, the retail um, public charging stations are all level three now because level two is kind of useless, especially if you're on your road. That just takes too long. And as you noted, it's about 42 cents at Electrify America if you're not a member and about 37 cents, I think, if you are, or 32 cents, I can't recall. So it's worth doing because that cost of membership is something like $4 a month. So there's no reason you wouldn't do that if you're going to use it or just use it occasionally. But at those prices, you're still paying three, four times as much as you would at home, unfortunately. Tom, in your opinion, if you don't have a Tesla, how hard is it to drive across the country using the existing charging network? It's probably not difficult if you stay on a very popular public route because there are charging stations along those routes. It's when you get off of that, things get a little bit sparse. Like if you wanted to drive from Chicago to Milwaukee, a thing I do a lot, I've identified several places where I can charge and that's an easy trip for me. So here's a big question. Why do Tesla, Tesla charging stations look clean, cool, functional, and fast? That is a great question, and Tesla does do it better. I, I work near, and I always check out a local Tesla star, uh, charging station near our office. 20 stations at any given time. There's five, 10 vehicles lined up. It looks like all the chargers always work. And yes, someone seems to be maintaining them and cleaning them. And, and you hear about Electrify America and you hear about EVGo and you hear about people's disappointment that the, the chargers aren't working or they're not delivering anywhere near the promised power. So it takes longer to charge. And those other networks we spoke about, many of those charging stations to me are like the old time payphones. They're broken, they're dirty and they're in disrepair. What's wrong with those? Why can't they uh, do what Tesla does? I don't know. And my single theory on this is that is that People got into this because they wanted to get into it because it was a business opportunity, not because they believed it or understood it. And I think what happened is you have electric cars or you have engineers who really care about what they're doing, putting out really great products, and you have a network there to make money off of this. And I'm not really sure people there care as much about making this work as they do selling stock. And it, I don't know. And then, of course, we have the thing with Electrify America where it's going to time out at some point. So... Uh, the situations are different. 
The other thing I've come to know is that why aren't charging stations uh, located where you need them? And what I mean is why aren't there places where you, you spend a lot of time like gyms or downtown areas where there's restaurants and shops where you may spend an hour or so or a doctor's office who's always late and you'll probably be in an appointment for an hour or so. Why, why are they in places that uh, seem like you're not, you, you have to sit and wait for the charge? You know, that's a great question. And there are opportunities in, in the Chicago area, for example, Walgreens stores have level two and level three chargers. Most of them don't work, <laughs> but, but you don't stay at a Walgreens long enough. But as you noted, someplace like a health club, someplace or a doctor's office where uh, an hour of level two charging would be meaningful and level two charging isn't that expensive, it would make sense. And you would think that as a, as a pool for customers, you might provide it for free. There is the Volta network, V-O-L-T-A, which provides free charging uh, at, at, um, at shopping malls and, and shopping centers and things like that. Uh, and the only thing you pay is having to watch ads, which seems reasonable, <laughs> actually. Yeah, so Tom, what do you see as the future for star charging stations? Um, I think we're going to see more of them, and I think that this is going to get better. I think right now we're at a really awkward point. Charge, a lot of people got in. They wanted to get their, their product out there first. I don't think the most thought possible was given to either location or the quality of the charging experience. The fact that they don't work is incredibly frustrating because these things need to be deadbolt reliable uh, if we're going to move forward into EVs. So it's disappointing, and a lot of people are disappointed, and they hear these stories. But I've also run into places where every charger was working just fine, and I think that that ultimately will be the future. It's just uh, too many fits and starts along the way. Why aren't the utility business in this business? I mean, they, they sell electricity. Why not do it at the retail end? That's a very good question. I've asked that question before, and I, I hear that they're looking into it. So and how hard is it right to... And, and Tesla, again, was very smart. They have a uh, unique connection for their Tesla. Are you able to get adapters to, to work on their network? Tesla announced about a year ago that they were going to get into the retail business and open up their supercharger stations to the general public. So you would need an adapter to do that, and you're probably going to pay more than a Tesla user would. But that is a strong network of, of reliable stuff, and uh, I hope that they do it. Tesla would like the revenue, and we certainly would like that, uh, that reliability. Yes. Well, Tom, always a pleasure to have you on the show. This EV topic is hot. It's ever-changing. So uh, there's always stuff new to talk about it. And uh, we appreciate you being on GreenSense. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Robert. That's Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, sharing his review of the Ford Mustang Mach-E GT and providing an update on charging stations. GreenSense is an independent radio show that relies on support from sponsors and patrons like you so that we can produce a high-quality audio broadcast that promotes innovators with sustainable solutions. Visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and thank you for listening to GreenSense, and catch the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago.